0: It looked, on paper, to be the perfect business marriage. The Indian telecom giant Bharti Airtel, the third largest telecom in the world, had been looking to expand in Africa. The Zane Group of Kuwait had been looking for a buyer for the company's assets in Africa, which covered 15 countries. When the two announced a deal, the media comments were less than kind. Too expensive, said one. Pained by Zane, said another, as public shares in Bharti plunged 14%. It was a high debt deal, but it also gave the Indian Telecom an opportunity to diversify revenues in the underpenetrated African market. with every merger or acquisition, there were cultural factors that would influence how the two companies would integrate operations. For one, telecom regulators in each of the 15 countries would have to approve the takeover. The government of Congo Republic didn't like the deal, said it broke the local regulations. There was a dispute about minority ownership of Zane's operations in Nigeria, the biggest market in the deal. And some employees of Zane resented Indian ownership so much. They went on strike. What became clear was that Bharti could not treat all 15 countries as homogenous Africa. It wasn't as simple as India dialing up Africa. The deal did close eventually, albeit with a new company name for African operations, Airtel Africa. Today on Stories and Strategies, communication between cultures. It's been around for thousands of years, and if we're going to succeed as professional communicators, we'd better learn how to do it strategically. My name is Doug Downs. My guest today is Shubhamoy Das. Hi, Shubhamoy. Hi, Doug. Great to be on your show. And you're joining us today from New Delhi, India. How are things where you are? It's winter where you are, right? Yes, uh, it's
1: uh, almost peak winter. And uh, I think, uh, um, yeah, we, 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 it, it's looking better from, uh, from a COVID point of view. Uh, things are finally looking bright. Um, and that's if I have to give you an optimistic view, um, because the third wave of COVID uh, seems to be behind us here in India. Um, and I hope we we defeat this virus completely. So as of today, Doug, uh, India has double vaccinated more than half its entire population. Um, and um, almost 70% have had at least one dose. Uh, and that's roughly 950 million people. That's almost three times the population of the U.S. that... That have that have got uh, at least one dose of vaccination.
0: That's fantastic. He, here in Canada, and of course in the United States, we have some. You know, the vaccination rates have been well good is subjective, but the, of course there are some who who are opposed to vaccination. Do, do you have some of that opinion?
1: Not at all. No. So that's that's a cultural difference. You know. So we'll we'll talk about that more in the show. Uh, how people uh, of different cultures are of uh, different individualistic, uh, you know, thoughts, uh, and, and we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, you know, where you respect hierarchy, where you respect, uh, you know, uh, rules and regulations, and there are cultures who who just wants to impose their own and not a believer of, uh, you know, any anything that is imposed on.
0: Them. Yeah, well, it's refreshing to hear. Shubhamoy, you are the president of IABC India, and you've presented, I know, a number of times at the IBC World Conference. You're scheduled to speak at the 2022 World Conference in New York that's coming up this summer. You lead marketing and communications at a global tech and professional services giant in India, and have been in the industry now for 24 years, being part of having led global teams and multinational companies such as General Electric, Deloitte, PayPal, and Accenture, you have a postgraduate diploma in communications from the Indian Institute of Mass Communication in New Delhi, a master's in English literature from the University of North Bengal, and have continued to educate yourself further at the Indian Institute of Management in Calcutta, the Indian School of Business, Duke University, and the Swedish Institute in Stockholm, where you studied sustainable business management. Shubhamoy, you wrote chapter 14 of the new IABC Guide for Practical Business Communication, the chapter entitled Intercultural Communication in the Workplace. We live in an increasingly digital and therefore shrinking world. I mean, it shrunk. You and I live literally on opposite sides of the globe, and yet we can have a conversation at any time, we can text each other, we can talk by phone just using uh, apps that are available. Well, WhatsApp is the big one um, that's that's available. And yet, this concept of intercultural communication, it's not new. In fact, cross-cultural communication is probably the foundation of communication when we were in tribes, right?
1: Yeah, uh, Doug. Yeah, it, it's, it's very old, uh, older than we can imagine. Um, because uh, I mean the communication in between teams and be- i mean uh, between people that of course predates this, but when when people uh, you know started to uh, tra- started to travel or to you know go beyond their cultures, so that 's when uh, the the need for intercultural communication as we understand today began you know so um, it 's been there for thousands of years. Uh, uh, because people had to learn about other culture cultures and uh, adapt uh, that when entering their new territories. So when you talk of territories, we talk about those rulers who you know went out uh, to invade uh, other lands and annex territories. So uh, you've heard of uh, yeah Alexander the Great. That's an example. Chengish Khan here in in, uh, in the in Asia. They built enormous empires because they appreciated. Um, they were able to do that because they appreciated and assimilated various aspects of different cultures um, as they expanded. Um, and, 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 and a bad example of that is uh, Imperial Japan or, or Nazi Germany. Uh, they failed because they underestimated uh, neighboring cultures and their allies.
0: So let's define what you and I mean by intercultural communication here in 2022. Um, clearly define the differences between national cultures and organizational cultures.
1: Uh, so the term intercultural communication was first used by the American anthropologist Edward Hall. And that, this was in 1959. And um, his observation, that people of different cultures, uh, they communicate and behave in different ways. And this led him to differentiate cultures on the basis of how communication is sent and received. So Hall's definition of intercultural communication is very simple: it is communication between persons of different cultures. That's it. So now, uh, if if you, if you interpret this in in the business context, uh, so it's a more relevant definition uh, that that was uh, on the basis of this. With the the authors Cheney and Martin, uh, they defined. Uh, intercultural communication in 2014 is a much more uh, recent definition uh, which is communication within and between businesses that involves people from more than one cultures very straightforward uh, and very relevant to uh, business Um, and uh, and and there are other related terms Doug, that we get confused with we talk of intercultural communication there is uh, something called cross-cultural communication that you have heard so they are distinct uh, uh, from each other in the sense that while the former which is uh, intercultural communication uh, focuses on interaction between two cultures the latter which is uh, cross-cultural communication is more concerned with the comparisons between different cultures so when you're comparing one culture with the other Uh, cross-cultural communication, that's the prerogative of cross-cultural communication. Um, And and another related term that you may have heard in this context is the international communication. So um, And that's completely different because uh, we must remember that while international communication can only take place between people from different countries, intercultural communication may also occur within a single nation of different uh, of, of multiple cultures, just like in, in India or or maybe the, the United States or the entire Europe. But, you know, organizational or business culture is, is different because it's essentially a system of the shared values, the beliefs, the attitudes, the rituals and practices uh, that govern how people behave in that particular organization. Uh, this may include uh, the company's uh, expectations, their experiences, ethos, uh, and all of these that characterize uh, uh, the company and, uh, and, and 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 each company has got a unique personality, as you know.
0: There are models for understanding cultures and communication styles, and you listed several of them in your chapter. For example, Hofstede's Cultural Dimensions, uh, the seven culture clusters. Spend some time with me here and walk me through these models because this is the science.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, we must get acquainted with these. Um, I have, n- I, 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 when I didn't delve into it, I didn't know about this, but uh, uh, as communicators, we must know because as, as you said, there is a science behind it. Uh, some of them are very complicated, but I'll, I'll go with the most relevant one for business communicators, which I mentioned in the book, is the Hofstede's uh, cultural dimensions. Um, and this guy, uh, Geert uh, Hofstede, uh, he uh, over several years uh, between 1967 and 1970s, um, uh, he studied the res- uh, the results of the global surveys of IBM, the IBM Corporation, their values. And these uh, global surveys were taken by employees in over 50 countries uh, at that time, and it just uh, uh, you know, it, it became more and more uh, countries and nationalities were included over over the, over time. And these determine the dimensions on which business cultures differ from country to country. Um, And and this has further evolved over years. So according to Hofstede, there are six dimensions that distinguish one culture from another. And um, there are these, I can just rattle off them, uh, the names of these uh, six, and then tell you uh, what they are. So uh, PDI, it's Power Distance Index, uh, Individualism versus Collectivism. Uh, masculinity versus femininity. Uh, you have uncertainty avoidance index. These are all technical terms, Terms UAI, that's the fourth. Number five, long-term versus short-term orientation. Number six is indulgence versus restraint. So I'll, 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 these are a little complicated, but I'll go one by one uh, and, and delve in, into these. So PDI is the power Power distance uh, index, this is actually the degree to which uh, inequality and power uh, are accepted in a culture. Uh, For example, a a high PDI culture has very high respect for authority, and and this uh, encourages bureaucracy. Um, Low PDI cultures encourage flat organizational structures and and, uh, more participative uh, management style. Number two is individualism versus collectivism. Uh, basically i versus we dimension Um, so while individualism emphasizes on attaining personal goals collectivism places high importance on the goals of collective well-being right Uh, so that's i versus we number three is masculinity versus femininity uh, or just tough versus tender this focuses on the culture's gender preferences and emphasis on equality, uh, which has become very important now. Uh, I mean, you can you can look off uh, you can look at the different characteristics of uh, the masculinity features uh, such as uh, assertiveness um, or wealth building, and as 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 contrasted against uh, such feminine qualities as care um, or modesty or or quality of life. Uh, that was three. Number four is UAI, or Uncertainty Avoidance Index. This measures the degree to which uncertainty is allowed in a culture. Uh, A high UAI culture uh, has low tolerance for ambiguity, uh, and so greater, uh, 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 and, 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 and that's why no risk taking at all. But a low UAI culture has high acceptance for the unknown, and so better risk taking. Um, that was uncertainty avoidance index number five is long term versus short term orientation dimension. so this focuses more uh, long term focuses more on the future and long term success and uh, lays more importance on patience and persistence perseverance all of those and short term orientation uh, those cultures focus on uh, the near future and they want quick results. That was number five. Number six, the last one of these six dimensions is indulgence versus restraint on how cultures can control its need to fulfill desires and impulses. Um, like indulgence, by that you mean for the maybe love for life or joy of living. Uh, these are contrasted against uh, suppression of gratification of, of senses, you know, uh, the and, and that can be achieved through stricter Uh, social norms rules and regulations so that was indulgence versus restraint and then this was uh, later on uh, simplified over the years the Hofstede you know it developed into a company and then the Hofstede insights consultancy came came in and they later on developed seven cultural cluster models uh, uh, and uh, you know uh they simplified this further into uh into into clusters which is uh, comp- uh, competition or competitor cultures uh, so the competitor cultures are like uk us australia and new zealand they're very competitive so that's competitor culture then you have the organizer culture they follow orders diligently you know, like germany then there are connected cultures uh, like dutch and scandinavians uh because they believe in openness and transparency uh, than anything else. Uh, then you have the diplomat culture, which is, uh, uh, you know, these are the societies that greatly uh, value social, um, uh, individual freedom rather than social, uh, uh, while uh, they also respect hierarchy. Uh, examples are Belgium and France. Then you have the reciprocator culture, which is the people in the Middle East, uh, the South Americans, Southeast Asians. Uh, even uh, Africans, uh, especially East and West Afri- Africa, these people uh, mostly interact by exchanging favors, so they are uh, they belong to this reciprocator culture. Uh, the sixth is Marathonian cultures like Asian countries, mostly China. Uh, they are not fully re- transparent and often do not reveal um, their their true objectives. Um, and then the craftsman culture, they are very meticulous um, uh, with details uh, and everything that they do. You can imagine Japan, that's the, perhaps the best example of a craftsman culture.
0: Where would you place the North American culture in those seven clusters? I heard your examples.
1: That's basically the competitor culture. Uh, I would i would say U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand, most of the, uh, you know, uh, English-speaking countries uh, uh, looks like that's what, uh, you know, uh, uh, characterizes uh, uh, the competitor culture, number one.
0: Is that go for India as well? No,
1: I think um, India would go into a kind of a reciprocator culture uh, because, uh, you know, ex- exchanging favors um, and also maybe uh, uh, connected. Uh, like Scandinavians, a more simplified but generalized approach was suggested by Mind Hauser, and this can be uh, really useful for business communicators uh, because it approaches uh, this approach basically characterizes people into four basic groups: uh, the action-oriented people, process-oriented people, task-oriented people, and role-oriented people. So, I think this is much simpler uh, to remember. Uh, So, um, especially when you're communicating with people with different cultural orientations, you can remember these four. So, action-oriented people, they mostly belong to the Anglo-Saxon countries, such as England, the United States, Um, and uh, they are generally quick with decision-making and uh, are driven to success and not afraid to fail. Uh, Then you have the process-oriented people, uh, mainly from Latin America, the Latin American cultures. They're more interested in the process than the results, according to uh, Hauser. And they're, um, the process-oriented people are averse to conflicts and they're cautious not to overstep boundaries. Uh, they are uh, comfortable in a hierarchical uh, setup. Um, and uh, number three is task-oriented people. They're primarily from, from Europe, especially northern Europe. They prefer to express their individuality while working for results within a team environment. So they are not intimidated by bosses, uh, you know, uh, and they, uh, they are also not very affected by pep talks. Or, and they are not hesitant to speak their mind. Uh, so they are the task-oriented people. And then in the last group is the role-oriented people who are mainly from Asian countries um, and some of Af- African countries as well. Uh, and I think India falls under this. Uh, and they make for disciplined employees uh, that are good at uh, working in teams, um, and they are uh, possessing a high degree of respect uh, to authority. Uh, they are they are they are also not comfortable with conflict. So um, I think uh, if if you look at uh, the Indian corporate culture, uh, especially people working in MNCs, it would uh, really fit in in this category.
0: That is. Absolutely amazing. Shubhamoy, in, in India, um, having worked w- with Indian colleagues, I know that the north and the south are dramatically different. There's a big cultural difference between northern India and southern India. And I'm sure there are many patchwork quilts um, that diversify it even further. But let's talk the language of communication. The, the, the official language is Hindi. Is Hindi the most spoken language, or is it actually English? Because it seems to me English is awfully dominant in India.
1: Yeah, English is the language for business communication in India. And as I said, that uh, there is a divide between north and the south, the cultural difference, um, and of course uh, a lot of difference in language. In in the south, we have around four to five different uh, uh, languages in South India. Um, people who uh, don't prefer to use Hindi there uh, which is uh, supposed to be the national language uh, um, and mostly people in the north understand that in the east and the west they understand Hindi Hindi. but what binds all those people in terms of communication and especially business communication is uh, the lingua franca here which is uh, English and um, uh, if you look at uh you know india's prominence in english language publishing uh india ranks third after the us and the uk in uh, english language publishing in terms of books magazines uh if you talk of uh, daily newspapers the times of india that's the largest circulated english language daily uh, newspaper uh, not coming from uk or us it is in india Uh, across all formats of the newspaper Uh, It is uh, the largest circulated daily. Uh, If you look at the um, business dailies, uh, out of the top eight English dailies, uh, three are from India in that list. So um, I I can clearly say that, uh, you know, English is the language that is uh, most prominently used for business communication.
0: Then. What does that do to the Indian culture? Is the is the natural follow up question here?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, English has been assimilated very well uh, by Indians, uh, and uh, it's 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 uh, it's a natural part uh, of India now. Uh, so we have Indian English. You know, if you look at the dictionary, you'll find that uh, you know UK English, US English, or you know Indian English. Um, uh, there's, uh, I think, uh, uh, as many number of uh, people in the U.S., U.K., Australia combined that you'll find in India who are spe- who speak English. So uh, I think it, it's 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 part of Indian culture.
0: I am so glad you and I finally got together. We've been talking about this for months. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Shubhamoy.
1: Thanks, Doug. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, thanks for this opportunity uh, of sharing these. Insights, uh, very important stuff, uh, uh, which are uh, very clearly overlooked um, uh, because you you use the term uh, while we were talking before about codifying your knowledge. Yes, Uh, I think, uh, you know, this discussion has uh, thrown some light into that part uh, of uh, codifying the knowledge. It's important to understand,
0: uh, you know, some scientific dimensions of the way we work every day. Yeah, it's one thing to feel it, and that's important. It's another thing to consciously know it. Right. Yeah. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Shubhamoy Das, you can email him. It's in the show notes. It's shubamoy.das at gmail.com. He's also in New York uh, this summer at the IBC World Conference. That is a real good one to check out. Stories and Strategies is a co-production of JGR Communications and podcasts that pop. We're hoping you might leave a rating for this podcast on either Apple or Spotify. Reviews are also very welcome. Be kind. You can connect with us on Twitter. It's at comms underscore podcast. Hey, we're also on Instagram. And more than anything else, if you like this episode, would you do us a favor and tell just one friend? And in light of this episode, tell a friend on the other side of the world.